1: Welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound. Have you missed me? Because I've missed you. I have been finding my feet in a new job that I've been doing for about a month now. And it's not an excuse, but it is in fact a reason as to why this episode of How To Be Sound has been so delayed. So I have a new plan and the new plan is that I'm going to spend the next six weeks or so getting the next series. So series two of How To Be Sound together. I'm going to take a hiatus of kind of six to eight weeks between this episode and the next one, and then I'll be back with a bang with a six-episode series that's going to be, I'm sure, amazing. Thank you for holding on, and thank you for staying subscribed. Please do tell your friends about How To Be Sound. There are loads of episodes they can catch up on, and then they can tune in for series two. For this episode of How To Be Sound, I went all the way to... Manchester! I'd never been to Manchester before. They have a spice bus. Did you know that? Like, not a spice bus, like, with spices. A spice bus from the Spice Girls. I'm just going to stop now. They have the spice bus from the Spice Girls movie, and it's in Manchester. And they have a very good big Primark, or Primark, depending on how you say it. Anyway, I went over to Manchester for the Lush Summit, which is essentially a little bit like a big day out in the RDS, but for fans of Lush, the shop that sells the bath bombs. I went over to the Lush Summit to chat to Gabby Ludolph, who is... Head of, let me see if I can get this right, because she wasn't even sure. Head of Product Innovation and Safe Synthetics at Lush. And we had a really great chat about sustainable beauty, about the cosmetics industry, about uh, blockchain and Bitcoin as well. I don't really know how we got to that, but take a listen to our conversation because I think it was pretty interesting. So what's your full job title? Head of of Innovation and Synthetics? No, so it's a... We don't really do job titles, but
0: I'd say creative buyer, and I have focused very heavily in the last few years on raw materials and say synthetics, so from an ingredients perspective.
1: Okay, and usually on my podcast I ask people where we first met, and then we have an interesting thing where they go, "Oh, we first met in the park," and I go, "No, we didn't. We first met here," and then we argue. But seeing as we've never met before, we are now meeting for the first time at the Lush showcase. Could you explain to the layperson? Because I definitely can't, having been here for the day. What is the Lush Showcase? Oh my gosh. The Lush Showcase is a celebration of all
0: the innovation that we have as a brand. So from the beautiful new product creation, new ranges that are being developed, new concepts, to a celebration of the ethics as well. So really highlighting all of our giving and the different ways that the company gives back to charities or groups working in the regeneration field. It's also a showcase for music and everything that we're really passionate about to share with our staff and companies customers alike
1: yeah so it's basically <laughs> if if you can imagine a cross between a playground and kind of a Christmas exhibition maybe because there is definitely a kind of a festive yes. feel but without the millions of strolls trying to sell you th- I mean you can definitely buy things and there is a commercial element to Lush oh, yeah. obviously which which we'll talk about it as well I'm really interested in your journey at Lush because I've been trolling through your LinkedIn and going well you started on the shop floor. I did. How long ago was that and can you tell us about the steps from there?
0: Absolutely so it was a very very long time ago it was 17 years this year actually and I'd moved to the UK to go traveling before starting another degree in South Africa where I'm from and I needed a job because I ran out of money as we do and I applied for an advert Got a phone call, a voicemail, couldn't hear the name of the company. So just turned up (laughs) at the address. I heard the address, but I turned up in high heel shoes and a pencil skirt and a shirt. And they were like, what are you? Oh, very business.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And I walked into the shop and I just fell in love. So I started working on the shop floor with Lush. And within a year or so, I was part of the management team, decided to extend my stay in the UK. And then I managed our flagship store at the time, Covent Garden, the busiest one in the world, for a few years. Then I went on to work with one of the co-founders, Mark Constantine, on people, senior management development, various projects. Um, I launched and managed the charity pod back in 2007. Then I helped run the UK retail business, worked on new concepts in the spa. And then I joined the creative buying team in 2011 and helped set up or run the Sustainable Lush Fund as well at the time.
1: Wow. And I mean, what's really interesting to me, aside from the fact that you started on the shop floor and worked your way up, because I think a lot of the time people can be very disparaging about shop jobs. They can go, what do you want to work in retail for your whole life? But there aren't the same opportunities everywhere. I mean, if you had left Lush, right, because you're obviously there for 17 years, Mm. Where could you have gone and done similar? Do you know, I think
0: I think Lush is quite a unique company in that it really believes that it really treasures and values retail. Because on the shop floor, you understand firsthand the customer's needs, the products and all of that. So you have a really strong voice. We also have a real culture of giving people opportunities to try new things or things that they're passionate about. I can't imagine another environment that I could have had quite the same journey. I was given opportunities because I was passionate rather than coming with the prerequisite experience already. So I think it's quite unique in that sense. I I don't know. Somewhere else would have had the same. And I also think that the breadth of the jobs that we get to do here, it doesn't fit neatly into a job description Mm -hmm. or a normal title. So I think that's quite unique to the company as well.
1: Yeah. And it kind of helps keep things interesting. So Interesting. What's really fascinating to me is that in 18 years, 18 years is a long time in 2018 to stay in in one company. But from the way you talk about it, it's not like you stayed in one job.
0: Absolutely not. So the time flies by. And one thing that's really important to me is to constantly be learning and to be stimulated. And there's no shortage of that here. There's so many interesting concepts and big ideas and opportunities to really be part of those and drive it forward. But also I think one of the things here is that you really have opportunities to take the things that you're passionate about and create opportunities or help shape the business as well, even the size we're at. So I think that... Even though it is one company, it's so many different areas that I've been involved in that it feels like a multitude of different yeah. places.
1: And do you think, I mean, not to kind of give give you a chance to say how great you are, which you know. I actually I think everybody should be given those chances at least once a day, but do you think that it's you that facilitated that journey or do you think Lush opens those doors for all of its staff? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what yeah. do you think people need? So... I definitely
0: don't think it's just me because a lot of people, when you talk to them in the business, have had similar journeys. It's very, it's quite a frequent thing that someone came as a Christmas temp or a holiday temp on the retail side or in the manufacturing plant and has had this really fascinating, almost bizarre journey with all kinds of opportunities. So it's not just me, it's definitely a company thing. I think It's more challenging as we become larger and larger to offer that same opportunity to everyone. But there's still so many different avenues for people to express an interest or to have a voice. And there's a real culture of listening as well. So I'll give you another example. Someone that works with me quite closely and has on and off over the years worked with me in the Covent Garden store and cornered one of the co-founders in the shop once about our recycling as a company or The lack thereof, to some degree, it just wasn't up to scratch. And it was a case of, well, if you feel that strongly about it, come out of the shop and come sort it out. And she did. And she really helped drive a lot of our thinking at the time and has done various things about the business. And I think that it's not just individuals that that happens to. Mm -hmm. I think anyone that's really, really passionate and opinionated, or, yeah, opinionated to some degree, for sure, because you do have to stand up for it. But there are also so many opportunities, and people are actively encouraged to go for them to try, yeah.
1: but that's—I mean—that definitely sounds like a combination of the people taking the opportunities, yeah. but also the company being receptive. Because because I know there are other companies where you could go and you could go, you know, what you're doing this wrong, and they'd be like, "We'll see you later." Yeah, I know. Please, yeah. If you think it's that go bad, somewhere else. Out. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think it's because we're always looking to, as individuals and as a business, we're looking to learn and to improve what we do. So. It's more of a debate or a conversation and people aren't always going to agree with what we think or what someone might say we could do better, but there is a culture of listening. So it is that thing where we, I mean, we do surveys to all of our Lush employees as well, run through Ethical Consumer, where people get a chance to really give direct feedback and it can be anonymous. Um, it can be how you think we're doing, but also where are the gaps? What are we not doing well? What should we be doing better? So it's really valued and that helps shape how we respond to things as well.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed walking around today is that, I mean, I kind of touched on the commercial element and I know that there are things for sale here, mm-hmm. but also there's a feeling like almost kind of like Lush isn't just a company or, you know, isn't just a product, but it's a mission. Is that something that is like a conscious effort to go Lush is a movement, Lush is a, you know, a social movement rather than just being a shop? Or, you know, would you say there's a ratio of it's 70% shop, 30% Mission? I think that
0: the reality is that the company was built on really strong principles. Uh, so, the non animal testing, these, the belief that business could be a force for good as well, I would say, is a pretty strong one that's really ingrained to what we do. And so, it's not as clearly defined or split as here's mission, here is shop. In order to do the things that we want to or need to do, we do need to function as a business and make sales or make profit mm-hmm. because that funds all of the innovation and yeah. the positive impact we can have. But we're also always encouraged to each and every one of us in every area that we're doing, how can we have a positive impact? How? What are the opportunities to drive change? And we attract such passionate people as well in every part of the business. You find such hugely passionate employees working with shared beliefs or shared priorities, but also their own individual ones and opportunities to make those happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I feel as if people can often be very overwhelmed by the idea of trying to make a positive change when it comes to especially things about sustainability. And in this podcast, it's, it's called How to Be Sound. So in Ireland, sound means kind of cool or like, yeah. you know, how to have a good personality. It's kind of hard to explain it in one word. So I've talked to people about a whole range of things. And one of the people I, sp- I spoke to in the very first episode was a woman named Kira Norton, who works for an environmental charity and was talking about how She's reproducing, which she knows is not environmentally friendly. And she's hoping to use cloth nappies. And a lot of the feedback we got from that was like, whoa, that's you know, too big a step. And so I think it feels like for some people, trying to live a sustainable or trying to live an environmentally friendly life can seem overwhelming because it feels like you have to be perfect. Oh, you, know, you have to do everything right. Yeah. And so what do you think are good kind of first steps?
0: It's something I feel very strongly about is when... That You're right. It can feel completely overwhelming if you just have an overarching, this end goal. Like, How on earth do you ever get there? But I think it's about your personal choices as well. Every day, all of us are consumers. We interact with people as well. So having a positive impact can be as simple as how you interact with other people and the kindness that you share and really taking time to listen. So on the shop floor, for example, actually listening and caring about your customers rather than just sell. And then it's also... Thinking about the things that you do, it's about having a consciousness as well. So we make decisions every day. Some of them we do automatically without really thinking about it. Just thinking about those areas where you can start to make a small change, whether it is not buying water bottles and disposable bottles, just carrying your own bottle, whether it is going to a completely plant-based diet, or the steps in between. So nobody is perfect, even the people that seem, or the brands or the NGOs that seem perfect. We're all on a journey so it's constantly evolving and it's just having a mindfulness, I think.
1: Mm. What do you think are the worst things that you do personally? <gasps> to be like, what's, like, tell me the bad things. Do you, like, you know, so, so I'll take me, for example, I own five keep cups, which in and of itself is bad. Do you know what I mean? That I should own one, this is defeating the whole purpose of it. I've I managed to have accumulated them. And I, at least once a week, forget to bring any of the five with me. And I can't go without my coffee, so I end up getting one, if not two disposable coffee cups in that day. Yeah. And then like not only do I own five keep keep cups, but I'm using two disposable coffee cups a week. So like what's the worst thing that you do?
0: So I identify with that entirely because I I often get keep cups or similar, but I have this terrible tendency to leave them places and then find myself like, like umbrellas. Like I don't even buy umbrellas anymore because None it's just, do I, I. I'm never gonna have one for more than a week. But I definitely struggle with the element that you're mentioning about buying the more sustainable option but not fully utilizing it because I forget it I lose it or similar but it's the same with silly things like toothbrushes because I travel all the time and I end up with about 24 different toothbrushes on the Mm. go because I keep needing to buy a new one so probably my biggest challenge is the foresight or the planning element to make sure that I'm prepared to stick to those things Mm. that I want to be doing oh gosh
1: I do, a, I do a weekly series on my site of uh, what did I spend this week where I detail every single thing I bought and it's horrifying and my mother is barely speaking to me now <laughs> but every about every three or four weeks I feature a guest yeah. and one of them was my cousin who has three children and she, she works I think kind of part time but um, she works from home and her husband works and she's very it's hard sometimes I think to say the word thrifty without sounding mm-hmm. like you're being judgmental but she's it's very great, thrifty yeah. in a positive way And she was saying that for all the family, they now have the bamboo toothbrushes delivered every two months or whatever it is, you know, that you should replace them. And that struck me because I've I've seen these ads everywhere, but I've felt like they're like the ads for those slippers where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I have a toothbrush, I don't need that. But I hadn't really thought about it until she said, it means that I never have to think about getting a toothbrush and they're compostable, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a really smart idea, but I mean, I haven't done it because I have an electric toothbrush that I'm like wedded to now. Oh, I do too, but... Do I
0: remember to pack it every time I'm travelling to Dorset as much?
1: No, I'm the worst. And I don't really understand why, why hotels don't... Well, I understand why they don't provide toothbrushes for everyone because that would probably be very wasteful. But toothpaste. I know. Do you think it must just be very expensive?
0: But also, think if they did provide toothpaste, unless they had one of those big, giant dispensers on the wall that you just squeeze a little squeeze out of. Like, some places have their soap or things. Mm. Not the great ones. But just think about all those single-use, small little plastic containers that you end up with like, in the landfill.
1: Anytime I've got a little one in yeah. a hotel, you know, when you've called down to go, could you bring me up a uh, toothbrush? Yep. Or actually, I think more, even more often than that, I've had to call down to say, do you have any tampons? Which they always do. Surprising, It's yeah. great, yeah. Um, but the toothpaste, so they come up with the really tiny tube, and then I've taken it home. Yeah. And I'll use it, on, you know, like until it's finished. Yeah. But I mean, it just seems like if they're going to provide shampoo, conditioner, and shower gel... Why not provide toothbrush?
0: I know, and then, nobody, toothpaste. Uh, toothpaste, and then nobody has to worry about it. You can just know that
1: you can arrive where you are. And, yeah. This is the ultimate now, like, middle-class problem. <laughs> I know. This when I'm fair. traveling in a hotel, I'm going to write a letter because they should all provide toothpaste. <laughs> it's outrageous. <laughs> Who can we take this to a petition? I'm interested as well in the idea of... Obviously, now, it's 2018, right? Mm. So w- in an ideal 2018, we're all striving for equality and we're all very woke... But women in tech and sustainability still are the minority. What's it like to be in that industry? Because I saw online, um, for example, that you'd given a talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. And I kind of thought to myself, wow, I'd say there were a lot of men who were, or like a lot of people actually, because we're all a bit misogynistic, who kind of saw you and kind of went, oh, a woman talking about Bitcoin. That feels like a very male realm. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think the tech industry in particular is one that is plagued with um, with a lack of women uh, mm. in positions in general. But the interesting side from a different non perspective is that my partner is a tech entrepreneur and he really struggles to find women to bring into his companies. It's st- maybe it's because of the startup world as well. It's more challenging. There's a risk associated. Mm. Um, so, yeah, definitely... It is interesting. I think that it is such a male-dominated industry that often when you look at uh, the speakers list for events or similar, women are few and far Mm. between. And I think that makes it quite intimidating as well because the audience is often very male-dominated too. So it's almost like a double whammy. It's like, firstly, how do you get to speak? And then you're speaking to this whole audience as well where I think there is a bias sometimes. I hope that that's changing as well. And actually... We're using tech as an example, but depending on where you go in the world in general, it can still be really challenging for some of the places I travel, whether it's for ingredients or something else. People will ask me where my male boss is, or if I'm with a man, Mm -hmm. whether he is the driver or uh, they will speak to him because they assume. And it really, I I, am, yeah. Yeah, and I I, I mean,
1: I think there are so many different factors that, we can act like they're not important, but even in terms of how you present yourself on stage. Um, I have a friend who's a comedian who was yeah. saying that when she goes into a club, a lot of the time comedy clubs, are there are more men in the audience than women. But she said that she's noticed that if she looks too good, basically, that she'll get on the stage. Yeah. The men will fancy her, but the women will hate her. Yeah. And she was like, the women will not laugh oh. if, if it looks like their boyfriends fancy me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So she has to go in like a t-shirt and jean. Not she has to, but she tries she to kind to. of tread a very fine line and go, I want to look professional and cool, but I don't want to look sexy. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to go on, on the stage for people to be like, oh, there's a dolly bird. Mm-hmm. Which is terrible because no matter what, a like a man can go on a stage in a trucker cap and a vest and we're all just like, he's a bit hip. He's yeah. probably in a startup. <laughs> like. Hold up. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. It's ridiculous. I touched on Bitcoin there. Yeah. Can you do me like Bitcoin for dummies? So the talk was actually, it was interesting because it was women in Bitcoin as well.
0: The crux of the matter was that for me, blockchain was more i didn't even want relevant. to say the word
1: blockchain because i understand that even less than i understand bitcoin <laughs> so bitcoin is a cryptocurrency
0: it's a payment form if you would whereas blockchain is the sort of the tech behind it it's the infrastructure behind that specific cryptocurrency but my interest in crypto or in blockchain in particular was more on the side of it allowing you to do decentralized transactions or if we have to summarize it the most interesting thing was that it allows you to do transaction or something that is completely verified. It's impossible to go in and tamper with it. Everything else, you can change records. To go back to what the talk was about, it was about the opportunities for blockchain us as a company. So we were looking at it for smart contracts, for ways of looking at transparency in our supply chain as well. So
1: let's bring it back to, trans- oh, to cosmetics. So if I say... I get you. Okay. Yeah, so, if so, I was saying, so it kind of takes the potential for corruption... Yeah. Out of a transaction with a okay, example. Yeah, yeah, so yeah.
0: let's say when we were talking about blockchain, if we we're thinking about smart contracts, for me, I can say that as a brand, our oh honey comes from fair trade organic farmers in or beekeepers in Brazil. And that's great. People may believe it or they may not. But what a smart contract would allow you to do or what a blockchain allows you to do is to have every step of that verified yeah. not by you but by other parties so that anyone is able to view it it gives a level of transparency as well and see that yeah that really is the truth of the matter it's not just what you want people yeah to think.
1: so you can't cover up yeah. money going missing you can't fudge the number so it looks like you're paying x but you're actually yeah. paying y or vice versa okay so that's really interesting kind of reminds me of did you read about Fan Bingbing you know the really famous Chinese actress I think she was in Ocean's 11 maybe but she's been in loads of big things and she's you know has a Chanel contract she's gone missing since the end of July but th- but it's thought that she's currently in LA seeking asylum because she essentially fudged her tax records in China mm. which apparently a lot of Chinese actors this is all like Personally. I read I read one article about this and now I know everything. A lot of Chinese people or like high paid Chinese people apparently do this. So, so they basically get one document saying I got paid 20 grand but they actually got paid 200 grand. Yeah. And so now she has essentially lost her social uh, rating in China. Did you yes. read this article? Yes I did. So this is amazing. I'll actually link this in the show notes. But there was an incredible piece about what China is now doing where it's monitoring all of its citizens with yeah. CCTV and then giving everybody a social rating. Yeah, And so her social rating is now zero. So she's basically can't get a loan, can't like get a phone bill, can't do anything. Did you ever see that episode of Black, Black Mirror? Mirror?
0: Yeah, and it's exactly the same thing. Because we went out to Shenzhen at the end of last year. We're exploring ethical hardware, so seeing whether we can create that traceability, transparency in hardware that we would utilize. We were talking about this just before then as well, about this system of social ranking or monitoring and how you interact with people and it, it's mind it's actually it? nuts it's yeah very scary yeah
1: and I mean in that article it really juxtaposed two people's experiences where there mm. was I don't know if we read the exact same one but there was a model yeah. so there was a there was, there was this model. woman yeah who was a model and has like the perfect rating and she's married to this man he works in the government and they have a child and they have the you know all of the opportunities that you could possibly want in life they can get loans they can get mortgages and also you don't need to have So say, for example, in Ireland now, you can get a mortgage for 3.5 times your annual salary, but you Mm -hmm. need to have a deposit of 10 or 15 percent. Whereas in China, if you have a really high social rating, you can get a mortgage on the back of your social rating. And then they talked about this journalist who had spoken out about the government a lot. I know his social rating was zero and he can't even get a phone bill. It was just nuts. Like, it was so insane. It is nuts. And I really struggle with this as well because I can see it's an element of,
0: it's really a form of control, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. there can be no dissent. Nobody can speak up. So everyone just follows along and does what they're told because the repercussions if you don't. Yeah. And that level of power and lack of free will is disastrous for society, I would say. It's Mm -hmm. really... Very yeah, dangerous.
1: but I also understand. Like, I feel like we're going to need something as the world's population gets yeah. bigger and more kind of disparate, and, and we all like people become less bound to a particular nation mm. and more transient. That we're going to need something to keep track of people in a way. Yeah. So I understand that maybe that's where tech is going in terms of personal IDs and keep you know keeping an eye on our citizens. But it's very Orwellian. Like it's too Orwellian. It is. Yeah the way they're visualizing it
0: it is Uh, i mean they're very interesting especially if you're thinking about migrants or refugees people that don't have access to their documents so having a way and Mm. i know that they're exploring blockchain as well for a way of verifying identity so being able Mm -hmm. to get that independent verification without your official documents which can be crucial for people that don't have access to those things anymore but one of my concerns in, even in such a positive application, is who owns that data at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. How does it get used? Or what is the long-term repercussion of it as well? Yeah. And I think there's so many grey areas with all of this at the moment that we have no idea where it'll end up. Interestingly enough, I was on another panel talking about blockchain and Bitcoin and one of the uh, the guys on the panel was saying that he got onto the subject of social media and people are allowing companies to have all this control or ownership. And he used Facebook as an example. It was not me, it was him. And this whole thing that people don't care. And I disagreed with that because I think it's not that people don't care. I think it's that we don't understand the long-term implications of some of the things we're signing up to at the moment or the developments mm. as they happen, I think that we don't have the foresight to really know the where it's going to go. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I mean, I do think there's a certain element as well with people in their teens and 20s mm. who've grown up with all this technology and with social media and who think to themselves, sure, Facebook has all my data and it always has and it doesn't matter because it always will have. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's, not that, it's not that they don't care and it's not that they don't understand, but it's kind of going, well, this is, yeah, this is, this, is this is normal. normal. This yeah. is this is the world and, and like also I think in a kind of a naive way that it's like, well I've nothing to hide. I always think about it that I'm like, if I decided to go into politics, what would Facebook have on me? Oh. And there's probably a lot. You know what I mean? Even like a photograph I put up one time where we were all at a party and I, I poured flour on the counter and made it like made it look like it was cocaine if we were drug barons. Yeah. No, I mean honestly, there was so much. It was like like a pyramid, <laughs> a pyramid of flour, and I was like, "We're all like really crazy," because I'm like yeah. total nerd who doesn't do drugs. So I was like, "This is gas. This is a gas photograph." Now and then, loads of my friends were like, "Take it down," and I was going, "If anybody actually thinks that's cocaine, they think we spent a million euro on that party." Like there was so much flour. Anyway, yep. Total sidebar. I mentioned my my keep cup obsession, mm. and I do think there's a big trend at the moment towards. Key cups, reusable straws, mm-hmm. all of these things, like, you know, even kind of the banning of microbeads that we talked about. Yeah. From the perspective of a company like Lush, is there any frustration in seeing these things that you guys have been talking about for years become trendy?
0: Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's funny. I don't know if you went to a talk earlier uh, today that Mark Constantine, one of the founders, did, and he was talking about an article that had just come out about shampoo bars, the latest trend. It's like, we've been working on it mm-hmm. for 30 years, mm-hmm. but thanks. So, No, I think that things becoming trendy that we've been talking about or practicing or promoting for ages is not a problem in the sense that better to have people coming on board and Mm -hmm. wanting to make those changes. I think it's more frustrating when we believe that we believe really strongly in something. And I'll give the example of post-consumer recycled packaging, where we've been doing it for many, many years now, for what 10 years since we moved to post-consumer recycled, but Even now, I'll talk to manufacturers of, say, plastic packaging, and they'll tell me it's impossible. They can't create something. That's frustrating when it's like, but we've Mm -hmm. already proven that we can. We've been doing it. And when there's this inbuilt resistance without revisiting things, when people just blindly believe things aren't doable, I think that's frustrating. It's really great when things that we were championing become mainstream. It's like, perfect. So what's the next big thing? And how do we keep driving it forward?
1: In terms of trends. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of become a bit de classe to talk about trends in fashion or elsewhere, mm. I think, because everyone's like, oh, trends are, like, we don't like to talk about trends. But what do you think are going to be the next trends in terms of sustainability, in terms of cosmetics, from products to packaging? Mm. Is there anything that you can see? Yes, so
0: I think it's quite interesting. I think just sustainability as a, a phrase or a term is really the big thing that everyone's talking about now. But the interpretation of that is so loose. It's mm-hmm. That's a big thing that everyone is capitalizing on or trying to market. But personally, I don't think sustainability is near enough. We're past the point where we can keep systems as they are. Really, it needs to be that mm-hmm. next step about regenerative. How are we driving things forward? So how are we not just not degrading it further, but actually having a positive impact. Fixing what we've... Yeah, yeah. fixing and giving back more, because that's the only Mm -hmm. way that we're really going to restore the balance. But I think in terms of trends, and I'm using inverted air commas here, I think that you're seeing a lot of reduction of packaging, people moving more towards celebrating, having recycled content. So there's more Mm -hmm. of an awareness. So the beauty industry is following that trend as well. I think there are still certain ingredients I think that cosmetics are following food a bit more. I think we're moving past the anti-aging era to more these superfood ingredients that are really Mm -hmm. good and positive impact. But that's my personal opinion. But at the same time, what that actually means in terms of what people are really getting is debatable, right? Because Mm. we were talking earlier about how people use the marketing term rather than really for the benefit or the impact. So from the sourcing of the ingredient and the using of it in products. I think that mica continues to be a big debate, that we think, like, we feel the story is long gone. We've already made our transition in the process, but it's still coming up in the press an awful lot and the pressure continues. So I think that more brands will probably be switching to synthetic mica rather than And natural. that's that
1: mica is... Is it is it impossible to find kind of ethically what's Uh, so? It's not impossible. Nothing's impossible. The reality is that
0: the traceability and transparency is incredibly difficult. And I think the easiest way of summarising it is if you look at the official statistics for how much natural mica. Let's use India as one of the biggest manufacturing, oh, biggest extraction countries. Their export figures versus their extraction figures, there's a huge discrepancy. Okay. So, the official amounts that are produced every year versus what's well actually sold yeah. historically have been a little bit different. So, I think that it's very complicated and very hard. It's a supply chain that's quite murky. There are lots of challenges along the way. I think there's really interesting work happening through the sustainable mica initiative as well. So, lots of companies and brands coming together around an issue, so that's positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to drive change, you need to not just drive change in legislation and work with governments and demand more as brands, but you also need to address the core challenges that are causing the problems. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and are there any disadvantages in terms of synthetic mica of a natural? Yeah. So it depends on how you're looking
0: at it. Actually, there are a huge amount of positives. You have natural mica would have higher heavy metal contamination levels. It is a natural mineral, so it'll have more jagged edges, where synthetic is more smooth, mm-hmm. so you can use uh, bigger you can control particle it sizes. More, yeah. yeah So it's created in lab environment, so it's clean, it's bright, it is uniform in size, so it's easier to use in formulations. I think that... It is still formulated in a lab, so there's energy that goes into it as well. still so has mat- natural components that go in, so there's still an extraction of the early stages. But when we weigh it up, definitely synthetic feels like it outweighs. The positives outweigh the natural yeah. mica.
1: The smarter option. Yeah, for not us, to, definitely. Not to oversimplify. And then lastly, what are you excited about that's coming up? at Lush specifically. So like what, oh. what innovations are coming out? Can you talk about anything?
0: Oh, so we have some amazing product innovations that are happening all the time. So recently we had some fantastic launches. We had the spheres, we had the facial oils, um, the hair lab with all the concepts that are going in there. We have amazing focus at the moment on new fresh range, fresh products for a new shop that's going to be opening. I think our naked shop that we have as well. So we had one in Milan and we're opening one in Germany, has really driven for us um, innovation in more naked product ranges and skincare.
1: And really, that's, that's packaging free, is it? Packaging yeah, free, yeah. yeah. So
0: we've always been great at creating products that are solid or that are naked, but there's just so much energy around it now and all these new mm. beautiful innovations coming out that's really really exciting to see their creativity levels in lush are so high at the moment all the inventors are really bringing out these mind-blowingly fantastic things the makeup range as well the monthly deliveries of all these really creative packaging free options and i think those are incredibly innovative in an industry that is so heavily packaging led mm-hmm. that they're really going to be conversation starters so yeah
1: yeah Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I'm sorry that I've taken you away from the millions of things you could be doing right now, like taking a walk through the rain shower area. Yeah, well, well I mean, I'm Irish, so I didn't go through the rain because I was like, I could <laughs> just do that at home. <laughs> I well, I mean, we probably do it here, but we definitely get more rain in Ireland. But we did go through the, there's like a fog room. Mm. That's all, I think, like like bath bomb centered. And we went through myself and, and my friend at one point. I just heard him going, where are you? And I was like, I'm just right in front of you. Like, and I could see him because I was almost at the back. So I was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm right here. But thank you so much. How can people, can people follow you? Or are you interested in people following you? They can.
0: So if you want to find photos or little snippets of some of the really interesting buying trips we go on new growers suppliers or sometimes tech manufacturers as well they can follow me on instagram which is just at gabby so you you're gonna write this in the notes aren't uh, you
1: yeah yeah yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, put it so in, the, in
0: the show notes instagram is the best way to follow it because suppliers materials new things happening okay we always share them
1: everywhere you're going do you do you offset your carbon emissions we don't do offsetting per se
0: but a lot of my focus is on regeneration and regenerative agriculture we have a carbon tax which is evolving into the flight fund which is where we do as a company tax ourselves on any carbon emissions through our flights to okay. visit suppliers and otherwise and we use those to we're evolving that to now work on human and animal migration so in, supporting groups working in those areas through the money that we tax ourselves
1: I mean, I was kind of joking, but I should have known there would be a very well of thought out answer to that. No, we take it really seriously.
0: So we don't, as I said, not offsetting, but we do try not to fly unless we have to. And where we do, we make sure that we are capturing that as well.
1: Brilliant. Okay, thank you so much, Gabby Ludolph. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That was Gabby Ludolph, Head of Innovation and Safe Synthetics at Lush. So I'm leaving that interview with A bit of a crush now, just like Bridget Jones, but she was great. She was fab. It was actually a really amazing experience to be at the Lush Summit, which before I went in, I didn't really know what to expect. And now that I've been there, I still don't really know how I would describe it. But it was just an incredible theatrical production. It was a bit like Cirque du Soleil meets Bath Time in a really big convention centre. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of How To Be Sound. Like I said in the beginning, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus. It'll be six to eight weeks before the next episode. You can keep an eye out on my social media channels at Rosemary McCabe and you will find out exactly what's going on and when and where and how. I'd like to say thank you, of course, to my incredible producer, Liam Garrity. You can catch his work at meetyourmaker.ie and you can also follow him on social media. You just search Liam Garrity; You'll find much. I think it's a Garrity Liam or something. He has loads of things going on at the moment and he just finished producing a podcast called Fangs for the Bram Stoker Festival, which is still available online and is a really interesting look at the mythology and the factology. Factology? The mythology and the truth behind uh, Dracula. And vampires and, and all of those sorts of things. And it's really, really interesting. Thank you also to any and all of my patrons. If you go to patreon.com/slash rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac, you'll find my Patreon page where I essentially ask you to pay for the content that I produce and that you are consuming. You can start at one dollar a month. It's not a huge amount of money. Uh, you can basically buy me part of a cup of coffee and it really helps me to keep producing this. It helps me to pay Liam. It helps me to I don't know other things. Dress myself, um, and I really, really appreciate it. And if you are a patron at the three dollars or thirty three level or higher, you get your name right read at the end of the podcast, which is about to happen. After I say thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you all soon. Thank you so much to Claire Murphy, Sandra Cashman, Dina Walker, Kira Norton, Katia Valado, OCM. Joanne, Eva Campbell, Marita Leonard, Sharon, Katrina Kennelly, Sean O'Hara, Claire Hegarty, Sharon Lennon, Katie Joy, Eva Bradley, Neve Gowan, Eving McBride, Dervla Kinsella, Kira Byrne, Eva Connolly, Carly colgan Bates, Louise White, Roseanne Smith, Roisin Blade, Sarah Marr, Kate Stapleton, Neve Shine, Kathy Burke, Ashling Dynam, Janney Lanagon Angela McKeever, Neve B. Leonard, Leanne Kiley, Fiona Louth, Sarah Breen, Jill Murray, Claire Gormley, Sarah O'Donovan, Anya Kelly, Sarah McCann, James Gallagher, Michelle Barrett, Sonia Mary, Breed Gallagher, Sinead Feagan, Ashling Dollard, Marina Hogan, Sarah Hanrahan, Heidi Gardner, Eleanor Farrell, Karen Cragan, K- Kyra Kira, Kyra, Kyra McGuinness, Sarah Conroy, Timmy Hennessy, and Avril Flynn. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.